Welcome, one and all, to Picard, Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Picard podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me is the Pete from 1999. Is your dial-up still working, Pete? Welcome to the very end of the road not taken. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 201, The Stargazer comes to you now via Adler Lasky Temporal Radiation. Pete, welcome back again. You visit us from the year 1999 through a stable wormhole. Why are we doing such a thing? That's because, Matt, for the first time since my time, 23 years before your present 1999, for the next three weeks, Star Trek has two episodes each week of live action episodes. Now, Pete, the Department of Temporal Investigations is allowing you to ask me one question in regards to the show, Star Trek Picard. What can I tell you about these modern times? So with so much Star Trek Picard that you've had uh, since my time, I guess the X-Man movies didn't pan out for Sir Patrick? Uh, well, Pete, I know that you have yet to see the first X-Men movie. Uh, spoiler alert, there will be more than one. Um, he's going to do okay uh, playing uh, Charles Xavier. Uh, there, there is an end point to his involvement with those movies, I think. Uh, that's a developing story, but um, it, it's, it's an interesting road ahead, certainly when it comes to those comic book films. Uh, do comic book movies ever pan out? Uh, I, I can tell you this, Pete, the first X-Men movie with Patrick Stewart, uh, it, 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 it's going to be very well received, uh, and, and things will only get better from there. There you go. Well, with that, let's move properly to a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. Pete, first thing up here, an article, uh, in The Verge, uh, headline, Paramount Plus is still figuring out Paramount Plus. Uh, the subhead, it's time for Paramount Plus to prove why we should care. Uh, and this is an article that talks, yes, there are successes like the Star Trek universe on Paramount Plus. Uh, there's the spinoff to Yellowstone entitled 1883. Uh, the article then wonders, essentially, why does Paramount Plus, which celebrated its first birthday this past week, despite the fact that the service CBS All Access has been around for years, uh, it essentially wondered, where is the big breakout hit? Where is its Stranger Things, its WandaVision, its Mandalorian, and so forth? And uh, we don't have an answer for that beyond the success of Star Trek, even now that it's a year old. Should the network that has all the Star Trek have a signature hit other than all the Star Trek? I, I did think that the article was a little light on giving Star Trek credit. Um, however, I think the overall point is, you know, nobody saw Stranger Things coming as this cultural thing. I mean, any of these shows, I guess you don't see them coming, but Netflix has Stranger Things and others. Apple has Ted Lasso. Um, you know, at what point, the, I think the, the thesis of the article is essentially, at what point does Paramount Plus have the thing that breaks out into new territory, not quite frankly says to Star Trek fans, hey, here's new Star Trek, and it's really, really great. You know how you like Star Trek? Here's more. Uh, so, Pete, it's just a reminder, if nothing else, like we say so often, there is no 
PR problem with Paramount Plus. Everything's just great. You did share an article with me, Matt, from your presence uh, to mine that uh, Picard showrunner Terry Madelis here teasing the end of the third and final season of Star Trek Picard as uh, Sir Patrick is 81 years old and getting ready to finish up with the character after, you know, dozens of films, I assume, have happened in between. And that this third and final season will have a, a big bad villain that still hasn't been identified for you and plenty of movie style submarine battles. I mean, maybe we have both both brought articles to the table today uh, in that maybe it's I mean, look, we're off to a great start for Picard season two. Maybe it's Picard season three that becomes that thing. Maybe it's Picard season two. I don't know. Certainly the prospect. It's weird to be starting this season and knowing that the next and last season is almost done filming, but that's that's the nature of TV and film. Um, I think based on this episode, we can only hope for big, big things uh, for this series for the 19 episodes that remain. With that, Pete, let's head into this episode's mission briefing. Alarms echo against the darkness during a red alert as the computer calls out an intruder alert. With life support failing on deck five, a turbo lift door whooshes open and armed Starfleet personnel pour out as sparks fly. There's also a power grid failure on deck five that's announced as security teams are dispatched to the bridge immediately. Inertial dampeners are offline as officers and cadets are thrown against the corridor. With a warp field collapse imminent, they pile into another turbo lift, a Vulcan bleeding from his right temple. When they reach the bridge, the computer system reboots and the door opens to a fierce firefight. Obviously, starting here with a cold open, a little Enmedius rest, although it's not really Medius as much as it is Endis, but nonetheless, I was immediately saying, I know what's going on. Crisis on a starship, totally a Kobayashi Maru, right? Well, as they enter the bridge, it feels a whole lot less like a Kobayashi Maru. Uh, we see the tentacles taking out uh, good folks amidst fire and i think it's when you see picard calling for a status report he looking shaken that's when it's like oh this is not some simulator mission this is really going on for them uh we see gerati noting that the computer is 40 percent taken over uh the the borg queen is there even as captain rios looks on uh we have self-destruct called for three two one zero um and that's our teaser act as we head into the the new look main credits, Pete, no slow song anymore. We're upbeat. We're moving along here, up pace and so forth. Uh, our expected regulars in the list there, special guest star Whoopi Goldberg, um, and of course the triumphant horn sound as we get to the Picard logo. This is an episode written by Michael Shaban and Terry Madelis, directed by Doug Arnioski. Uh, Orla Brady Laris now listed as a regular, a big improvement for season two, more of her. Uh, in a moment here, 
as static crackles over Earth as night creeps across Europe and Irma Thomas's time is on my side, plays on a record player at Chateau Picard in France 48 hours earlier. Picard samples grapes as they are beamed off the vines to hovering transports as he walks with number one and smiles. Laris oversees the design of the wine labels, which appear on a bottle Picard inspects when he looks at her and turns to have her look back and allow herself the faintest look of interest. Pete, that the magic of visual storytelling, the the camera a ways back zoomed in to Jean-Luc, same shot composition for Laris, giving us a sense of we are separated from them. We are seeing an intimate moment. And as he looks at her and she looks at him, yowza. Uh, later, they uh, they toast having poured the wine. There's all sorts of cheers, uh, including cheers, big ears. Uh, as Days on Earth goes, this is a favorite. It is a celebration of the end of the season. Confirmation of hard work. Well done. Pete, do you see the, the subtextual context here? end of the season this is a new season of television even as much in this episode i would argue uh puts to bed uh, no laris pun intended but much of this episode puts to bed elements from last season effortlessly she speaks romulan which he translates as seize today for we know nothing of tomorrow she adds None of their tomorrows are guaranteed as he toasts to Jabon, who died a year and a half ago. Heat, the off-screen, little-impacted death, perhaps the most ignominious for a character? I don't know. Uh, it is noted that Laris and Shaban uh, had been betrothed as children, but learned to love each other, uh, even... Though, in the Romulan tradition, they can honor past loves by loving again. Be still my heart. Uh, Laris notes that she saw Picard as a man who chose the stars, but perhaps he's been seeking or running. Um, she asks why he's alone. You know, alone, alone. Uh, but is that what he wants, or does he want more? Pete, here's what I didn't know I had in my heart until watching this episode. Uh, a big old crush on Laris because wow. Orla Brady, I first came to see her in Fringe. She's a tremendous performer, and I'm so glad behind the scenes they made the decision to bring her back and offer us more in this second season. Um, they were out ahead with the press uh, that Picard would experience love this season. Um, and I'm very interested to see where they take it particularly as this theme is unfurled in this uh scene here um he has his duty however he's never stopped to be in the in the there and the then and as they close in and he goes to put his hand on her cheek here he sighs and doesn't make the move and laris pulls away because it's late and he has that speech tomorrow, so she retires for the night. Yes, a little, a little fire in her presentation in terms of, uh, you know, he 
he choosing the road not taken and all of that. Uh, we then flash back to Um Petit Picard uh, entering the conservatory. This is intercut with the modern day admiral retired entering the same place. Uh, young Picard uh, saw the plants and was found there by mom. Uh, it is noted that this place, uh, the conservatory and the house in general, uh, is a chance for the young boy to see the new skies. There's magic here. Hopefully mom and dad will fight less here. We see a montage, a confusing montage, good confusing, Pete. There's there's fighting, perhaps monsters. Maman says uh, the fighting here will be less. And if you do happen to hear the less fighting, uh, which is to say, if there is fighting nonetheless, then look up at the stars. Adult Jean-Luc does that. Uh, and we see a really gorgeous shot where we see his reverse view, the Earth, the Moon, and beyond. Planets, asteroid belts, nebula, all culminating in a green spatial anomaly erupting, knocking the USS Avalon away, and it contacts Starfleet Command. Now, Pete, look, I'm a Star Trek veteran here. Green energy means the Borg, right? I mean... Usually it does. In the morning, Picard searches his library as Laris has been searching for him with his now cold Earl Grey. Uh, he wears a Starfleet pin and is trying to find a first edition with a green cover and gold lettering. She retrieves it and goes over to a table where there is a broken Bajoran reckoning tablet. Ooh, good, good eye there, Pete. I must confess, I did not spot the broken Bajoran reckoning tablet. Um, I do know this: Laris uh, still not thrilled with Jean Luc, uh, showing a particular feminine steel here. Uh, she notes that last night he was simply himself. So, sort of a both direct statement, very Romulan, also rather cutting statement, also very Romulan. In that, essentially, she's pinning the failure on him being him um and she is concerned however about how awkward things will be uh and speaking of which he's going to be late which is nigh impossible here in the age of transporters at starfleet academy he delivers a speech uh that as he ages he believes it's time not space that is the true final frontier Seated with other dignitaries on the dais is Commander Raffi Musiker. As Picard goes on to tell the assembly, time offers many opportunities, but few second chances. He acknowledges Elnor as the first fully Romulan cadet at the academy. He also acknowledges his place as the last Picard with an ancestor who captained a ship behind explorer Jacques Cartier and Rene Picard, who was an early space pioneer, but leaves them with the words of his mother. Indeed. Look up Jean-Luc and let's see what's out there. Pete, my only regret about this episode is that we were not able to see it because of the times and also indeed just the timing of, you know, this coming out in March, like, to have to have seen that scene at a comic con or something like that i mean of course that's the line that he gives at the end of the uh next generation uh you know feature length pilot and so forth so this i mean it it hits the nostalgia spot perfectly in that we are now recontextualizing an old line 
first heard in 1987 and saying, in retrospect, he was saying that in honor to his mother, who we never thought about for all those next generation years, minus the time Mammal showed up due to space crazies. Um, just a fantastic, fantastic use of the line. And a reminder, Pete, that Star Trek is in good hands in 2022. La Serena streaks through space and stops as a trio of pirates stalk Seven of Nine who hits Hologram Emmett with a wrench. He tells her there's something going on outside, but she's occupied with the intruders who are there to steal medical supplies that belong to the Fenris Rangers. She disables the holographic safety protocols and rushes the last one off the balcony through a railing. Apprehended, she then beams them somewhere? Not clear where the where is, although Pete, Space? I know there's there's plenty Did she just of kill them. See, here here's the thing. First of all, the way she takes down Lady Pirate uh, to the crate that's that's wrestling style, uh, or for the international audience, wrestling style. In that you know, taking them off, you know, off the edge of the ropes, down to the table, boom, table broken. And just you know, just killer, killer move. Killer in an awesome sense, although, again, we're talking about how many of these pirates live. Here, Pete, is maybe a story clue that Seven did not just kill three people in cold blood. Since she bound their hands, they've got to be beamed somewhere that's not space. Because if you just wanted to kill them, you could beam them out into space, bingo, bango, enjoy the vacuum of death and all that. Um, I know this, Emmett talks to her. Uh, about her lifetime of being rejected as a Borg. Um, one example of many examples in this episode of the show being a repilot in that, you know, hey, I don't know why that uh, lady who used to be married to a Senate candidate way back when, I don't know why she's got robot on her face. Well, Emmett's going to say, you used to be a robot, half robot person, and people rejected you about it. We talk all the time, Pete, about effortless exposition. You could show this episode to somebody having not seen the preceding 10 hours of story. And I think that to a person, whether they are a Star Trek fan or a Star Trek neophyte, they would understand everyone and everything in this episode. And that's always the challenge to be able to bridge that and at the same time bring new eyeballs in. Um so she wonders why she merged all of the holograms that uh, Rios had on his ship that look like him and um, hopes to disable his therapeutic plugins. On the bridge, she finds her phaser that she did not have at the time the intruders presumably beamed in to steal the supplies. And Emmett explains there's a subspace distortion with tachyon fluctuations and a massive spike in hawking radiation, all en espanol, por favor. And they view the same green anomaly as the Avalon. Radiacion de hawking. Uh, <laughs> the story moves to Raritan 4 in the Beta Quadrant, where Soji is giving a toast to opening hearts while... At a fancy dinner, uh, she toasts to bravery and friendship. Uh, the the Deltons, the Balds, uh, are are part of her year long tour uh, for the Federation, 
uh, during the end of the synth ban, so spreading good cheer and messages about one can infer from this scene if you're brand new to the story, Soji being a synth. Uh, Dr. Gerardi, from afar, is impressed with the bell of... Beat my notes say the bell of the bar. I think that's an amusing typo. Gerardi's <laughs> at the bar. She's uh, impressed with the bell of the ball, uh, that being Soji. Uh, a Delton man looks at her hands, flirting. Uh, Gerardi notes that her longest relationship was quite short, and she had uh, killed a previous boyfriend due to space insanity. Uh, and with that, uh, her communicator gets pinged, uh, and she is relieved. Again, Pete, in a scene where you're like, hey, cool, it's Soji, haven't seen her in a while. Hey, Gerardi, awesome. We're also being reminded, again, if you're new, and if you're not, you're, you're getting introduced to these characters and what they're all about, down to Gerardi's kind of nervous energy here. Um, the story moves to Gerardi telling Soji that uh, uh, Gerardi is being pulled away. Uh, she thought that she could work with him, her ex, uh, but that was one thought in the past. Now she has to live it for real, one to beam up. And she heads to Rios's new job as captain, where he's been ordered to investigate the subspace anomaly. He could use her brain as the stargazer makes it so to warp. In just another fantastic scene with Rios, you know, giving orders to this and that and the other uh, in terms of, oh, look, he is an efficient captain, you know, uh, juggling four different people at the same time and, and doing well. Um, and then that reveal of the stargazer, uh, just just a beauty to behold. The story goes back to San Francisco where folks, uh, cadets, are being sent uh, to their uh, to, to the transporter, to, to their assignment berths, Picard and Rob. of Sulu and the Grissom. Yes, part of a larger discussion to be had later, which I guess the short version is this. Hey, Pete, they're still using those old ships. That's pretty cool. Update some things here and there, but... Uh, to, to think that the Excelsior is still chugging around in this, the early 25th century, uh, it warms my heart. I mean, is it not like Excelsior, uh, you know, K at this point? I know there's been conflicting discussion that this Stargazer is a refit of Picard's. It's the same registry with an eight in front of the old numbers. And then also been referred to as the first in a new class of ships using uh you know borg research both statements which are said in the episode and both statements which are i would argue in direct conflict to each other i know terry madelis said well it's new old like the motion picture enterprise and it's like but yeah we we saw it was new but you sit and watch the 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 movie enterprise and you go Okay, it's the old ship, but they like I get it that they built a new thing because movie, but it's the old the it's the old new, you know. I, Pete, in answer to your question, given some of the set dressing in this scene, uh, specifically in a little bit when Picard and Elnor have their little heart to heart, there's kind of the legacy ship background mm -hmm. things. I kind of took it as it's the original Excelsior again, upgraded to whatever degree, refit to whatever degree. Um, that's kind of how I took it, but you know, if next week, that ship would be nearly a hundred, uh, there are planes in the United States air force who, that are expected to reach 
the 90 year mark um in their current life cycle i think 90 year mark might be the 2050s so it's not my point is it's not unheard of in our real world you want to say the excelsior has such good bones that you can swap out the warp core and put a new one in and swap out a new bridge thingus um pete these are these are great star trek debates to have um and again maybe there's the hope of you know at the end of the season when we see the fleet again look there's the excelsior there's the uss hikaru sulu and so forth i mean it's 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 a delicious little thing to pour over all i know is the more they overtake the plumbing the easier it is to stop up the drain <laughs> picard and raffi are discussing uh the kobayashi maru test you know which picard can change since he is now the academy chancellor effortless exposition uh he asks about raffi's relationship with seven it being noted that seven's work is more important than raffi ah pete how it how it twinges at the heart there um and uh rafi says jl you wouldn't understand so again and i don't want to belabor this every single time it happens but again we're reviewing old things slash you can watch this new and go oh she's in a relationship with seven got it oh rafi calls picard jl okay there's a familiarity there and so forth uh it's it's amazing elnor receives his assignment to the excelsior and Picard helps him with the paradoxical excitement and worry when he gives him a copy of The Many and the One by Spock about being the first Vulcan, one of the first Vulcan cadets in Starfleet. He reads a quote and paraphrases it as, live a little. Elnor thanks him, and Raffi tells him they ship out in 10 minutes. She is protective of him with his absolute candor. And Picard wishes them both safe journeys. Picard looks at the decorative sign uh, celebrating the old stargazer. You see him thinking back. Cut to the new or old or whatever. Let's just say new. <laughs> the new stargazer, which is at the spatial anomaly. Captain Rios considers it. Uh, all of a sudden, they're attacking on emissions. Oh, man, Pete, though the episode doesn't explicitly get into it, uh, tachyon emissions in Star Trek mean one thing. What is it? Time travel. That's that's what you should be picking up from me. Uh, there you go, Pete. You are you are indeed emitting tachyon emissions as you speak to us through the stable wormhole. Um, Seven uh, hails the Stargazer. She's been using La Serena to help others, um, and even though it's had some dings there. So again, Rios's connection to the old ship, you know, reaffirmed. Uh, where Seven got this ship from is now reaffirmed. All of a sudden, there's a signal coming through uh, this anomaly. The computer can't pick out anything. Jurati's ready to jump on in. Oh, wait, uh, pardon me, Captain. May I bleep the bloop? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah. And then for him to say, oh, it's easier to defer to her. Again, it's like the crew doesn't know why this lady, this civilian, is about to jump on in. Uh, or certainly is aware that she's not an officer, so that's made clear without saying, but Captain, wait, she's a civilian. And then the fact that Rios just says, oh, it's just easier to let her do it. Like, we're getting all this character stuff through acting and minimal dialogue because the show trusts its actors, trusts its writers. And my goodness, Pete, the show should trust its writers since it's <laughs> this is a script written by the showrunner and a Pulitzer Prize winner. So <laughs> you're, able to, you're able to get away with certain things when you have that resume. And I think they let Allison Pill here take it to a next level, which really helps to sell it. 
Um, she finds that the languages are all overlaid, pleading the same thing. Help us, Picard. Uh, we cut to uh, Los Angeles, a city in California, which has in in the modern time, in my modern times, Pete has paid close to thirty million dollars to give this show the honor of making it in the state of California. Picard beams into Pete. I must admit a detail I did not fully pick up on the first time. Not just into any uh, historic district. It's the forward district where he sees number ten forward Avenue. Do, do you get it, Pete? It's I 10 do. on the forward. You'll never our, guess who's in there. Our fans would describe it as, would spell it with a PH, 10 forward. <laughs> um, we, of course, see Guinan, Whoopi Goldberg, looking resplendent. Uh, she orders uh, tea, Earl Grey, piping hot. She's happy to see Captain Picard, well, Admiral, uh, but he'll always be captain to her. Uh, we get some... I would say unnecessary, but uh, tidy exposition about how she's an El Orion, which, of course, the species ages slowly. But why does she look older than she did back in her last appearance? Uh, it's because uh, she's moved along with the humans to better fit in. So it was like game set match show. I get it. You could have ignored it completely. Instead, you gave a story reason why Whoopi, who didn't age from the Mark Twain times, to, or not Whoopi, why Guinan, who didn't age from the Mark Twain uh, time travel episode compared to the 24th century why she now looks a little bit older it's because she's moved along with the humans well done she senses picard's problem after all they've been through together and he decides they need hooch over saurian brandy he talks about love and she points out that it was always temporary for him he says that the Laris ship has sailed, though, and she says the only place he's ever been afraid to explore is inside himself, be it real or artificial synthetic. Again, see what you did show. We moved him from a purely biological entity to one now incorporating synthetic parts, but same Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, she wonders, what's his secret sad backstory? Oh, man, Pete, if we only had 19 more episodes of Star Trek Picard <laughs> in the next, you know, year. But we only have 19 more episodes of Star Trek Picard. Uh, true, but they could fit a secret backstory in there uh, at some point. Um, perhaps his answers aren't in the stars. With that, they they drink. The story, and indeed Picard, moves back to the Chateau where Admiral Whitfield has arrived to talk about a sensitive matter. Played by April Grace, Matt, who played the Enterprise D transport operator Maggie Hubble on both The Next Generation and in the Deep Space Nine pilot. Wow, is that so? Yes. That is a good, that is a good uh, use of the character there i guess over the actress i guess my only regret would be not the same character isn't that a right isn't there an opportunity to have it be the same character and have a neat little arc i don't know why you wouldn't keep the character name but who knows there could be some story issue there she tells him about the space-time anomaly that is uh, broadcasting for him the balance of the message is article 
15 asking to join the Federation. And she hands him a comm badge and he leaves as Laris enters just in, so- in time to see him head out. Pete, I'm glad that he's happy to badge up one more time, one last time, except for the last time of next season. But the last, last time of the first time of the last. In not the even given a heads up. Season. Not even given a heads up to Laris. You know, there she is in, in the lowest lane position, watching him fly away. Like, ah, oh, all sympathy towards Laris here. Well, he didn't know that she would enter. I don't think he would have left. And that was the whole thing. He assumed that she had given up on him, given the tension of their previous scene. So it's the old misconnection. Oh, ships passing, etc., etc. Uh, we cut to the stargazer where the shuttle we just saw leaving arrives. Uh, Picard is, uh, is out of the shuttle bay. Scene uh, seven. Who's shuttle bay, Matt? the stargazer shuttle bay uh the discovery shuttle bay go back and look at it <laughs> ah Pete, maybe it's such a good 23rd century design that they yeah um you know what you want to you want to reuse a digital set space go for it uh he's pleasantly surprised to see seven i love the story detail there that as they walk down the hall staffers that are walking along stop stand at attention as he walks by i'll even do you one better pete I like the fact that he doesn't do a kind of, you know, at ease. Like, no, no, no. It's Admiral Jean-Luc Picard. He, he, he's, he's earned the I walk by and maybe nod hello at you. And it's one of the great days of your service. The day you saw Admiral Picard walk right by you. He notes that it feels like life has come full circle. Um, being on the Stargazer. But this is not his Stargazer. Seven says, as you mentioned before, Pete, that this is... A new class of ship, the first one, which means, Pete, by naming, you know, convention, it's a Stargazer class ship, even though somebody with the show said it wasn't. It was a it was a Sagan class ship, which is cool. Carl Sagan, etc. But it's if it's a refit or a Stargazer class or a Sagan class, uh, Pete, uh, I'm nerding out too much here. I know there's some Borg cube research that's been worked into the ship. Uh, take it from there. I need to have a little, little calm down here. Computer, uh, uh, T. Earl Grey hot. The artifact, uh, Borg cube, in fact. Uh, Seven senses her presence, increases tension and paranoia as they arrive on the bridge where Rios welcomes Picard, uh, who says that the older those refits get, the younger they look like himself. So now conflicting, I I hope your Earl Grey T lukewarm has calmed you down because we're still not sure is is this the old ship that he actually served on and captained is this a completely new ship that they just you know made or did they add the borg stuff to that old ship and it changed the class of the vehicle and here we are pete shades of the ship of theseus when is a thing new versus old if you're replacing it bit by bit uh Again, this is a minor, this is a tempest in an Earl Grey teapot here. Um, all I know is this. Um, report time, Rios shares the particulars. Picard hails the anomaly, stating his name. Uh, Pete, subtitles say Legion is the mm-hmm. one speaking in that, you know, overlapping Borg-ish voice. Um, 
everything is fuzzy. All of a sudden, something is coming through the, the rift. Red alert and back us off. Pete, my only kind of VFX complaint for the episode they is... move forward. Yeah, well, or, or at the very <laughs> least, the, the camera moves back, suggesting forward motion. You know, it's... Look, it's if that's our biggest complaint, it is what it is. Uh, Pete, all I know is, okay, it's clearly a Borg spear-shaped ship coming out with green Borg energy. I mean... I know it even before Seven senses it, you know. So, yes, it, th that ship is Borg. It's very clearly Borg. Seven then confirms it. So, thank you, Seven. I'm glad we're on the same wavelength. Starfleet vessels warp in as Raffi is on the Excelsior standing by. In the ready room, Rios meets with Picard, Seven, and Gerardi. He's the ranking officer, and the devil is calling his name, but he doesn't know what to do. Seven points out the Borg. Assimilate. Do not ask to be assimilated. Gerardi says the Borg that they know have been effectively decimated and functionally hobbled. Something we really need to talk about when we discuss theories. But Rio says they may have changed tactics. And Seven says they'll do anything to win, including lie. I love the simple metric that seven gives here if it is the borg then millions are killed and billions are subjugated however if she's wrong and they destroy this rando ship uh then they've destroyed a ship or even if it is a borg ship if they're well-meaning all they've done is destroy a borg ship um that of course is story math i think we can all get behind and it's especially since we know the borg and we know you know they only do Star Trek episodes over interesting times, they tend not to do episodes about like, here we are doing the plant survey. All right, great plant survey. So we know the stakes are high, um, but we also want that Star Trek like, yes, we can find friends and former enemies. So her conflict with the rest of the crew is our conflict as well. Even as Rios is called to the bridge, there's a hail coming in uh, and the message is that time is up. Negotiation with Picard begins now. Uh, and we will send an emissary, like a nice emissary, Pete, like the Deep Space Nine pilot. No, we will send the Borg Queen. Their queen, I think. Interesting distinction in language there. Rios won't allow it, but the Borg ship opens up and sends a single life form transport signal. Uh, Seven says to fire, but Rios warns the Borg to stop the signal penetrates the shields on the bridge and we have caught up to the beginning of the show as we see a number of those events we saw from a limited perspective unfold a masked and caped figure beams in Gerardi says that it's new uh the borg queen identified in the closed captioning tells them they wish for peace but first they require what is it you require? Power. Indeed, tentacles go shooting out. Uh, Pete, perhaps tentacles from the multiverse. I don't know. These are the best <laughs> of times. Um, sparks fly. Seven fires. Others are uh, firing. Um, all of a sudden, we see kind of a beneath the mask clockwork clicking kind of thing. Then all of a sudden, uh, many are shot at once and taken out. 
Uh, Pete, Rios, this is maybe not the day for Rios to get his captain evaluation because he repeatedly calls for a ceasefire and no one listens to him. Uh, we do get some dialogue and some evidence that the, the shot crew has been stunned, not killed. Uh, the computer has command node corruption with bridge controls being redirected. The transfer is at 20%. Uh, no, 40%. Uh, as there are modifications being made, the ship being assimilated. Uh, in fact, it's the whole fleet that may be assimilated since uh, the Stargazer is being used as a hub. Uh, Rios orders all the ships in the fleet to fire, but they can't broadcast a signal. Seven notes that they, of course... Not only can they not give the Borg a ship, they can't give the Borg an armada. Uh, Seven, looking quite smart, uh, had only they listened to her five minutes ago. At 85% control, Picard calls for the auto-destruct. Um, there's the the computers awaiting final command. Picard gives one. Then we get that countdown started. It begins to swell here. We cannot ignore that. Yeah. And part of what I like about the decision to start the episode with this scene and then to revisit this scene is you didn't know it on first viewing that you were getting kind of an abridged version. And here we have a, the longer version. Um, I, I don't think it's a cheat to have started the way they did. And I don't think it's a cheat to have revealed the fact that the same, the same sentiment is now shown here just with 20%, 40%, 85% countdown. You sure about countdown? Yes. Here's my code and so forth. Edith Plaff's non je ne regret rien, okay, which may I translate, Matt, some of the lyrics here. No, absolutely nothing. No, I regret nothing. Not the good things that have happened, all good things, nor the bad. It's all the same to me. Wow. Powerful stuff there. Uh, we, of course, have the countdown you know getting to its final numbers here as the countdown uh approaches one the queen tells picard to look up uh and then we get at least for this timeline we get the the wide shot from the view of the armada where the stargazer unambiguously explodes um then episode over oh no wait no fade to white then back to black indeed pete the black of picard's eye Yes, uh, to the atrium that we've been in before on Chateau Picard, but with a curious force field in the sky above. He has a strange oversized Starfleet comm badge on and pulls himself up to see himself reflected in the broken glass. In his home, there's a Kuat Malat sword on display, as well as a painting of himself in a dark uniform. He calls for Laris, but a male synth named Harvey answers, asking if he wants his morning beverage on the veranda, since the solar shields are holding up well this morning and the sky is clear. Uh, Laris, who's asked for again in Romulan, we learn, means a new day. Uh, and Harvey asks if Picard would like to check the migrant rosters, but he just wants to know what's happening. Will anyone answer his Q? <laughs> um, well, Q himself thinks that's an excellent question, Mon Capitan. Uh, we see young Q, that's right, Pete, a legacy character de-aged in a special appearance. 
Um, he notes how old Picard has gotten, and then with the snap, he ages himself to be even, which is also just, you know, it was worth the three seconds of the expense of the special effect, I would argue, in order to say, because, you know, story reason to explain as opposed to no explanation. Uh, Pete, it is Q. I'll clean it up a little bit here. Gosh darn Q. <laughs> um, and then the the line uh, that's been around since we saw the first footage of this season. Uh, do you recall what I said last time? The trial never ends. After all that talk of second chances, well, welcome to the very end of the road not taken. Pete, we have a tactical analysis with this week's threats let's start with the the overall borg presence how do you want to slice up that collective that we've got borg that we're told in closed captioning legion and then what may or may not over the course of this season be more than one queen this is not annie worshing's borg queen at least because of the mask so we can't tell. Um, I don't know that this is a threat. They've they've come in peace, right? They just need power. It's misunderstanding, but people are in jeopardy, although they're being stunned. Pete, it's a weird... I won't tell you too much about the 2022, but it's a weird time to be... So it's a weird time to have Star Trek reminding us that the old foes really aren't old foes. They are going to evolve and not be a threat to us anymore. But I think living just within this episode and without any 2022 comment, um, yes, I would agree that there's there's enough evidence here to go, oh, you misunderstood us. The power we needed was, you know, electric. And I know what kind of looked like we were taking over the whole armada. Oops, Daisy. Um, so I think it's, you know, I, I think particularly willful suspension of disbelief and, you know, action conclusion for the uh, for the first episode and so forth. I think there's a lot of wiggle room there. Part of me, though, Pete, I, look, I like to think I'm pretty objective in real life, but I think in the world of fiction, I do have a hard time believing the Borg have gone good. Um, but if, if that's what they're going to sell me on this season, let's do it. Well, I mean, what is legion you've told me about this marvel show uh and you know everything there um although it's not connected to the marvel shows that you guys will podcast so is it a different entity i i wonder too like i i feel like in this day and age it's rare for subtitling to be outright incorrect like i doubt somebody at the subtitling who got the subtitling contract was like, I don't know. I'll just call the voice Legion. You know, when you could say it is voice or you could double check with somebody. So, you know, if we find out, Oh man, is David, the Borg queen, uh, the guy from that show that you watched, that you talk about, uh, downtown Abbey, uh, Pete, there are all sorts of possibilities, I suppose. Um, I don't know. I, I guess here's what I'm trying to say. I wonder I wonder how we would view this episode slightly differently if not with the knowledge that somebody here is called Legion or some group or something. 
Well, with Q, it's the devil we know. And to get John Delancey back, I mean, I can't wait to watch the uh, the Q trilogy films uh, that uh, Sir Patrick and John Delancey have in the the middle of the time between us. Pete, all I will say is this, uh, as I've been sending the VHS tapes of this show to you, uh, the whole... Hey, movie... I just got a DVD player, okay? Well, I, I, look, I want to be sure. Um, just please, all I ask is this, what, and maybe the wormhole is transmogrifying them. Uh, whatever you do, whether it's the tapes or the DVDs, just please make sure you're returning them to Blockbuster on time. That's a real, That's a real important thing. We don't want anybody messing up there um as for q i mean do you get much a better threat slash not threat than q i will say this i had read in the last week and it was one of these things like "Ooh, do i regret having read that and i was like actually no so pete i'm going to share the number of episodes that john delancey is in and for any listener who wants to be uh uh hashtag slash pound sign spoiler free you can skip ahead 15 seconds uh, Pete, he's in six of the ten episodes to some degree. So the notion here that he's not just a bookend, like, and now I send you to the alternate times, or there's some time travel or something. Like, the fact that he's going to keep showing up might be a little bit, might be a lot, but that is very, very welcome. And that's okay. He doesn't need to be in all of them, so long as we feel that presence there. And, you know, again, you've you've had him in movies i'm sure in the time in between so nice to get him on the small screen again with that pete let's use our long-range sensors to scan for theories uh first one pete okay digging a little deep here uh the synth harvey played by alex deal uh do you know what he's famous for as a uh, producer and actor and maybe writer i don't isn't it the same synth though that we saw in uh season one of picard it definitely is and uh, i just want you and everybody to know that in 2017 uh alex deal and some other people made a maybe a web only tv series but he he was in a series for five episodes called catching a break Here's the log line. This is all true. This is from his IMDb. Catching a Break starring Alex Deal, a.k.a. our synth Harvey. Uh, it was about two millennial stoners navigate through a bizarre world of casting as they str- struggle to catch their first break in Hollywood. Catching a Break is a tongue-in-cheek comedy that uses the stoner trope to highlight the absur- absurdity of the entertainment industry in Los Angeles. So are you excited to watch Catching a Break, Pete? Not really uh more squarely to this episode can we take a moment to reflect on as i said earlier jaban is given the coldest fiction death of all the off-screen one in which you get a quick mention and then everybody by and large moves on indeed if you're romulan you best uh reflect on the love of a lifetime with jaban by moving on quickly to emotional and uh physical love well one R.I.P. because even though we only had a character a couple episodes in season one, I think we all enjoyed him. We got to see him do quite a bit even in that time. And then two, though 
they tell us he's dead, that doesn't mean he can't show up in whatever it is that Q's done here. So I'm hopeful that might be the case. But how did he die, do you think? I feel like the way it is mentioned i mean i'm i'm playing a little fast and loose with them mentioning it in passing they of course they don't feel that they're mentioning it in passing they're revisiting a fact that both know very well and that both experienced in in real time and so forth i feel like it was kind of you know it was you know and i'm not trying to be flippant here but it's like story cancer like it's one of those things where jaban taken too soon what a tragedy but also the end comes to us all and that sort of thing, you know, a sad loss, but not necessarily taken at his prime, not he gave his life in the war, that sort of thing. Um, definitely. It made me sit up and go, Ooh, you just like in the process of remaking the story a bit for this season. Uh, there he goes. I do like your theory, Pete, that dead, uh, dead Siobhan, Siobhan can show up, next week in the alternate timeline. Jamie um, McShane, the actor from Saddle River, New Jersey, Matt. Wow, there you go. Um, sticking with this topic, there's a couple directions I'd like to go, but let me start with this beat. We'll, we'll start with love. Um, Picard and Laris will make sweet, sweet love before it's all over, right? Well, my question is ultimately wedding bells. And is this the pathway to a next generation crew reunion, either this season or the final season? Uh, the answer is yes. A thousand percent. <laughs> a thousand percent. Particularly, you know, I don't know that the um, which movie was it where Riker and Troy married? <sighs> I haven't seen it yet. Oh, that's true. Sorry. Spoiler alert. Um, Thanks. <laughs> well, Pete, the, the Pete of the future has spoiled me so many times. Uh, Talia <laughs> al Ghul. That. <laughs> um, but anyhow. What do I become? Some, some sort of jerk? Just a spoiler, Pete. We're my kids. <laughs> um, bottom line being, I think that that could have been done better in movie form. Um, the notion of the Star Trek wedding. Um, Pete, I, I, I can't wait for it. Um, so maybe that's maybe that's in the future for this show. As for this episode, I mean, again, not a huge theory here. Well, let me, well, I guess here is the theory question. Is this episode meant to function as a repilot? The, the episode both respects the journey of the first season while glossing over parts of it. Um, I think you'd be hard-pressed to say, show me in this episode where Rafi is a recovering substance abuser who has a who has zero relationship with her uh, ex-spouse, uh, a male, and her son. None of that is here. Again, we're not dishonoring that journey from the first season, but that's gone. But is it necessary, do you front-load that into this part of the story or is that a conversation when her and Seven are driving a car in 2024, Los Angeles, later on? Thematically, there's the slight reset. And then I think, too, the idea of new blood running the show in Terry Matalis, who goes back to Star Trek as a production assistant on Voyager. Um, 
you know, to let us know it's just different enough from the previous incarnation. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, they, they talk about the three seasons being so very different from one another, how different it'll be and, and how they kind of set it up. So on the notion of this episode kind of being a, a repilot, what else is being piloted here? What else is being seeded? Clearly, they are opening the door for a Stargazer spinoff. I mean, look at that bridge. Look at the, the hallway set and so forth. How about, Pete, also the gestating for the last most of my life uh, instead of Starfleet Academy in the 23rd century or the 24th century, how about your spinoff is the Starfleet Academy of the 25th century with occasional super guest appearances by Patrick Stewart? As long as Tilly comes back in time. <laughs> um, last one from me, Pete. I guess I had expected the alternate timeline to be taking place in 2024. I guess not. I mean, initially, first I was like, oh, no, because they're in the Chateau. Then, well, wait, the Chateau could be old, too. But then there's the synth um, played by the guy from Catching a Break, the stoner comedy. Um, so I guess that's now. So I don't quite know what to ask other than to say already this has subverted my expectations. Now, I did not watch the This Season On preview, um, but I can't wait for more. I think what will be set up in the world where they are is the reason they will go back to 2024 to undo it. Hence Q with the very end of the road, not taken. I feel good about that as a, as a bit of storytelling. What theories do you have? What's up with the atrium or the cupola, whatever we would call that room in Chateau Picard that has broken glass on the ground you know nothing else about the chateau is in disrepair um what what's going on with that well i would add to that question and to that evidence the kind of you know jump cuts of mom dad fighting also little picards being pulled by a monster or something i right. think we're going to return here to something i don't know what it is i can't imagine they like wanted to show how picard sometimes grew up in a violent house so let's shoot footage of a kid being dragged by an unseen force across the ground like there, there's more to it and i think that i don't think it's as simple as we're gonna get the flashback where you know furious dad throws something at mom terrible uh and then misses breaking the glass I think somehow there's more to it. I don't know how. I saw one of the things that's in quickly those flashbacks is a child throwing a rock at the window. Maybe it ties into uh, what did what did Guinan say? You know the the secret heartbreak. I mean, maybe right. it's not a the secret sad backstory. Maybe it's not a romantic one. Maybe it's seeing an extremely dysfunctional marriage uh, particularly in the relative calm of the 24th century maybe that's the the sad backstory leading young picard to you know kind of swear a a, a life of uh i won't quite say celibacy but you know a life of uh on a solitary track um i feel like that could also be a I feel like there's some good 
writing and acting opportunities to be like, you know, and thus I decided to always be alone and, and so forth. Um, heck, Pete, maybe that could serve as ultra commentary, meta commentary to kind of the complaint I had last season that I needed to get grips with, which is like Picard had a stargazer family. And now the one doctor comes back and look, he's not really hanging with his enterprise family anymore. Like why does the guy keep leaving his families? This could be why this could go back and recontextualize the first season and, and Picard's whole life and so forth. This trauma that he's evidently suffered um, from his family background the flashbacks of domestic violence of his mother telling him to come find her as he's covering his eyes. Were they playing hide and seek? Maybe there's a key quickly, but prominently shown. And then whoever it was pulled across the floor. Um, and then a child restraining a male adult, perhaps his father. So they're going to delve deeply into Picard's family history, something ironically we've never had. Um, so to, to see that and to see how it would factor into the not completely functional adult that he's become in the area of commitment, um, I think is fertile ground for a season of television. And I think, and I say this with all delicacy, I think it's worth keeping in mind, too, that Patrick Stewart has talked about having grown up in a home where mm. where his father was abusive to his mother. So while I'm not saying, you know, oh, I rub my hands together in glee, that's a great source of story juice for this fake show where people shoot laser beams at each other, it is possible that perhaps, you know, whether someone took uh emotional inspiration from that or whether it was Stuart himself to say you know let's not just let's not just do the you know in time laser beam thing let's add some substance here here's what i have from my life can that be picard's life as well um uh, yeah i would say all <laughs> with executive producer patrick stewart you know it's not it's not a bad source to say patrick can we mind can we mind this issue and being a producer on the show, clearly having interests, you know, the insistence that there not only be a pet for Picard, that it be his pet cause of pit bulls and a rescue at that and hear something uh, close to his own heart in the, the subject of uh, Picard's history. So it all seems to track this broken Bajoran reckoning tablet, Matt, does this somehow factor into the story or is this, hey, interesting prop we'll just put on the table in the library? I would certainly welcome, you know, any Bajoran Deep Space Nine kind of intersections. I would welcome that as a story. Now that said, knowing that um, I know the exterior of the Chateau is a, is a California location. Um, I will guess that the interior is probably practical as well, but it's not a set regardless whether you're, whether you're moving into somebody's, you know, house that you've rented to shoot for the next three weeks or whether you've built, you know, built stuff in a soundstage, someone has to populate it with stuff and it can't all be, these are books that are going to be at the far bookcase 
40 feet away from the camera. Some of it has to be the stuff of the world of Star Trek. Um, so at the very least, it could be, here's the eagle-eyed, you know, um, set dresser who loves Star Trek and is like, I'm going to put in my Deep Space Nine references. I'm going to put in my Bajoran references and so forth. It, bottom line being, it's kind of tough to know what's a story set up and what is a production that really, really loves Star Trek and isn't just going to say, I don't know, we'll put some like uh, salt shakers and glue some lights to it. Like, no, let's 3D print the Bajoran thing. Look, we have such and here's the the boxes and boxes of stuff left over that's in the Paramount archives. Let's let's use this. Let's use that. The Deltons, uh, a nod to Star Trek, the motion picture and uh, Enterprise Navigator, Ilea. Yeah, it's a reminder of the connected nature of the Star Trek universe. Um, uh, again, I'll, I'll go back to the world of production here. Here's my question. Do you have these people shave their heads? Are they all bald caps? Do you put out an all call for, we want 10 of the most beautiful, all bald actors in Hollywood? You know, like all things are, are, all things are possible here. Is Elnor still a member of the Kuat Malat? Um, I mean, can we say he is religiously, though not operationally? Um, I kind of think of him, I think of his present service in Starfleet. Uh, that's his main duty, his main loyalty now. Uh, if he had been in his past uh, an altar boy of sorts, guess what? He has chosen to pursue not the seminary, but uh, Starfleet life instead. So... I feel like he's now loyal to Starfleet uh, and all of that. I guess he still has the ability to wield a mean sword. He still has the ability to give his absolute candor. Um, but here he is, part of the part of the adventure. So we have the the big mystery of what exactly the Borg are up to, and I'm going to make some predictions here. Soji is the only one that does not accompany them. Uh, to this anomaly she's on the tour right they don't need her for this operation um obviously they will uh have her in the uh alternate queue time as well as uh the time travel that takes place back to 2024 we know that brent spiner's uh, a presence later in the season from the upfront advertising and seems to have some interaction with Q. Is it possible, Matt, that she is the Legion Borg queen, hence the mask? I mean, it is certainly possible. I did not expect this episode to go the way it did. Had we gotten to have we gotten to the end of the episode with all our expected regulars on the stargazer when there's the explosion and then there's the introduction of Q. All right. Then, then I feel like you safely have the ability to say, and Q pulled all these people out or it looked like an explosion, but because of the Vertitron rays, they're now been pushed to a, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, so this did not, go with my expectations i would then further say the first season in my mind you know soji was 
nominally, if not in all actuality, the female lead of the show. A ton of time is spent with her on her own arc, um, Soji and Dodge, you know, being a bit interchangeable. I mean, Pete, insofar as we are repiloting here, for all we know, I mean, maybe, and I, I would say this is not likely, but maybe Soji is only in two or three of the episodes. Maybe she's only in check in with her here. And then when they return to the proper timeline, she gets picked up in episode uh, 208 or something like that. You know, again, just because somebody's name appears in the credits nowadays, Pete, sit down for this if you can believe it. Just because they're in the main cast doesn't mean they're in every episode, doesn't mean they're credited for every episode. So I think it's likely to see lots more Soji soon, but it, that's not a guarantee. Well, here's where I think it all adds up. Q continuing the trial of both Picard and humanity because of what could be this massive misunderstanding that some version of the Borg was attempting to defect to Starfleet. And what did they do? They blew themselves and them up. Hence, you're really screwed up. You're going to get a look at what happened uh, with that and the theme of and the uh you know idea of second chances it'll be interesting to see again with kind of some of the curveballs here it'll be interesting to see how much of the season is in los angeles of 2024 um because now i'm not quite sure what to expect if, if you tell me they come back at the end of episode five and second half of the season is dealing with having put things right or, or whatever it might be that's possible too um it not only was this a was this a refreshing episode in and of itself but the fact that it now it almost has re, it's refreshed the season of sorts in that i don't know where we're headed at all the emissary that's sent their their queen which knows picard's mom's words I mean, it makes sense. Obviously, he'd been assimilated by the Borg. They would have retained that knowledge from having uh, him in the collective. But, you know, Emissary could be a throwaway. That could be a nod toward, uh, you know, the Bajoran tablet thing. Um, this could be information that comes to them another way, if not through Soji or even Mom herself. Yeah, I mean, there's no mistaking the fact that the Borg Queen uses the line that Mom used. I would agree with you, Pete, that if the if the show says, and the Borg said that, to say, hey, I'm cool because I'm referencing a memory I got that your audience just heard for the first time now, but that you've known all your life, and you could do that. But I'm not going to love it if that's the conclusion. Like, there's a big mystery in episode one and the resolution of the mystery after Picard finally gets to talk to the Borg Queen again in the second half of the season after exploring an alternate reality and then time travel with his friends and fixing the past to save the future. Then he comes back and he stands in front of the Borg Queen again. The Borg Queen is like, hey, don't forget, I have your memories because mom was nice and I'm nice too. Like, that's not a satisfying conclusion. Um... We'll see if they agree and if they give us more from it. 
what about this idea that the Borg were effectively decimated and functionally hobbled? Are they referring to the events of the Star Trek Voyager finale, um, which I just saw? Are they referring to films in between? Are they referring to season one of Star Trek Picard or anything right before that that led to the Borg cube artifact and the Romulan, uh, you know, occupation and experimentation on it? I think they're saying it because they want it to be true. And I don't mean like Jurati's being aspirational. I think this the script says it because the script wants us to know the Borg have not been a threat for a long time, despite the fact that uh, you as audience members, the best Next Generation episodes were the ones with the Borg. And Borg have been a storyline that continued through Voyager. And Pete, maybe they'll even show up in other Star Trek presentations and Star Trek movies and, and so on and so forth. We, the audience, I think, immediately go, Borg are always bad, Borg are always a threat, even coming off of last season, where it's like, oh, the cube has been totally cool and whatnot, and we're slowly redeeming the XBs, X-Borg. Um, so I think it's there as a reminder to us that there's not a Borg threat, even though I think we would all say, uh, constantly look at the Borg as a threat and never never get too comfortable and make sure that you know everybody on the bridge in the star trek times nonetheless carries pistols with them because you never know when a threat like the borg might show up with that pete let's go to hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir we start with our twitter poll pete and as our star trek picard podcast beams to the chateau how would you rate the stargazer all the answers pete en francais uh and this one of the most uh, one-sided polls that we've ever done to podcast a thing. Uh, the lowest rung, eau de toilette, uh, got 0%. Uh, next in French was uh, observer of the stars, or repeat, stargazer. I was trying to come up with something. Got 0%. Uh, next, uh, septzer neuf. Pete, do you know what septzer neuf is? I do not. Uh, would you rate it a 7 of 9? Uh, that got 8.1%. And then the 100 emoji, say magnifique, got 91.9%. Pete, almost 92% of people voting in the poll, giving it the top spot there, which is, I think, both befitting and absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the first uh, respondent to the Twitter poll in word form was Spider-Ham Lincoln. That's at TessLC139. What a premiere. I love that it's been 18 months later and the characters have all gone in different directions. Captain Rios of the Stargazer, Commander Musiker of the Excelsior, uh, Q Guinan, Q the Borg Queen, Q Q. <laughs> this was the best Star Trek season premiere ever. Um, Trey Problement. So Pete, I'm not necessarily disagreeing. Was this the best Star Trek season premiere ever? It's pretty good. I mean, again, I think of like the beginning of Star Trek Voyager. Um, yeah. I think of the beginning of Discovery. Um, it was really good. I've watched it four times at least at this point. I will say, Pete, if 
if we were to find another episode, another season premiere that's better than this one, it may be out there, but you know, it's a long road to get from there to here. Next, we hear from James the Sagacious at that uh, big kiln on Twitter. Admiral JL better kiss Laris by the end of the season. Great start with a jam-packed episode. Still hard to believe this character is back on screen with Q, Guinan, and Seven. And a Borg super soldier queen. But can't wait for more. Next, we hear from JT Atkins at that JTA is me. Love me some time travel. Mystery completely mixing the formula up taking time to tell a story, great acting, and naturally the Q problem. This isn't a surprise, but, not, uh, but yep, I'm on board. And JL, work it out with Laris. Uh, so say we all. Next, Andre Yeager at Dr. Polo 1983. That's the way you start a season. I was ready to binge it when it ended. Uh, Pete, he's referring to a practice where you can watch, if you can imagine this, more than one episode a week. Um, Andre goes on to say, can't wait for next week. Were the Borg serious about teaming up, or was it all a ruse? What game is Q playing now? So many seeds planted with just one episode. Great start. Next, we hear from Noel Gardner. It's at Noel Camille. I haven't caught up with Discovery yet, but I'm here for Picard. Uh, Grand Overture. Uh, whoa, there's a whole bunch of French here, which I will have the Twitter uh, machine translate Universal for us. translator. There we go. A couple of clicks. She says, large opening. Q was one of my favorite early villains. So good to see him again. Uh, I think with that, we all certainly can be in agreement. Uh, next, Rose Ferry uh, at Anna Rose 584 I watched the two-part finale of TNG before this episode, and it was very enlightening. That's a great idea. A great episode, and I'm happy to see the gang, even though they are a bit of a hot mess. Uh, next, we hear from uh, Pete, somebody else who took my reply, I'll for all say, uh, literally. That's Ms. Myra. That's at Myra Caramel, who says, through translation, amazing first episode. I really enjoyed dealing with all the characters, uh, even uh, Alice, who drove me a little crazy during the first season. Um, I loved the Academy moves, the Borg, and Q the best. Uh, next up, we hear from Mimi Andelman. That's at Mimi Andelman. Love the season two Picard premiere. All the feels. He and Laris need to do a little stargazing. Give me more Rios. That's her words, Pete. More. I think it's the oh. MMM saying. Mm. <laughs> um, also, speaking before Starfleet, he says he's the last Picard. Hmm. Or maybe, to quote Yoda, there is another. Um. Lastly, Pete, from Make It So, that's at K-C-L-Y-L-E-1. Incredible start to the season. Great setup and nice that we already know the main cast. And we got to see more of Picard's past finally. Feels like the season took forever to arrive. And I can't wait for the rest of the season. Uh, Pete, it has been a while. Uh, but my goodness, th did this show come back strong? And, you know, again, that you would take the uh, quality uh the the time to produce that always being worthwhile to your uh apple podcasts matt where i've been asked to read this review by jta is me uh admirable like the admiral five stars for our uh picard a star trek podcast by fantastic geek feed and it says, trick no stars without making sure your crew includes Matt and Pete. Give them a try and you'll discover that they have always been and always shall be your friend. 
No Trek series experience is complete without a little talk around the virtual water cooler with these guys. Very engaging. See what I did there? I understood that reference. Uh, JT, thank you as always for the kind words. Very, very appreciated. Uh, particularly, you know, those reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, Pete, you might know it in a previous incarnation uh in the in still in your future as something involving itunes um but those words certainly appreciated speaking of words pete we got an email from stacy that's uh stingray aka trek girl 88 on twitter who had emailed us with too many words for twitter this week we read stacy's discovery words yesterday uh regarding picard she says picard is the thing i've been waiting for picard is why i finally ponied up for paramount plus it's also what brought me to fantastic geek i was looking for a podcast on picard because no one i knew was watching it from picard to discovery to mcu uh, pete that's the marvel cinematic universe to huh. star wars and now finally back to picard i love season one with my whole heart it felt like home Season two is starting off with a bang, and I'm super excited to see where it goes. When I heard John Delancey say, Mon Capitan, I got chills. And I thought the way they explained how beings don't age, have aged, was well done. Guinan has chosen to age to fit in. Q sort of the same, but kind of to mock Picard. Which is also, that's a great take. That's so very, very true. Um, and again, now, what does it also mean, Pete? It means these storied actors don't need to show up three hours early for, you know, crazy de-aging makeup, show up with the beauty that you have wherever you are in the timeline. Well, Matt, I know a little bit about the future, but the thing that you told me first was that we were going to have this listener in the Netherlands who goes by the name of Fred and uh, makes sure that he sends in his own little mini podcast each week. So let's hear from Fred in the Netherlands. Hello Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 2 Episode 1. Very nice that this series is back. I immediately liked it better than Star Trek Discovery which is also running of course. And I gave it an 8 on IMDb. Actually I have more feeling of 8.5. So why not giving it a 9? Well, perhaps saving these high notes for episodes to come. Starting the episode with the nice connection between Laris and Picard. But he keeps it away. I really wonder if when the series ends, they will end up together. And he will see that he does need a more intense connection Although his age, um, I found it a little weak that he just went to Guinan for consulting about these matters, about his personality, about relationships, etc. On the other hand, if you have questions and you have somebody like that, it's of course Guinan he would go to. I hope she will play a bigger role than just this in uh, the series. And it's not just a cameo. I always, like probably most everybody, love the facial expression possibilities Whoopi Goldberg has. So nice, so recognizable. Her age doesn't matter in that. Then about the aging aspect of Q and Gaiden. I think they did it 
nicely on one hand. So what do you do? So Q adapted. He started young and he was uh, very quickly adapted to Jean-Luc's age. Uh, nicely done. But also in Guinan, where she uh, adapted herself as well to the surroundings, more or less. Although her species grows very slowly old. And I think we can expect something like that for Data as well. Well, it's a way to get these old people or older people into this series. But it's a bit of a trope. On the other hand, what do you do? So at least they explain it instead of saying nothing about it. A bit confusing that the rogue captain, pirate captain, Rios suddenly is a full Starfleet captain on the Stargazer. Okay, this is also being explained, etc. And of course, one of his other iterations is still working with Seven of Nine. When they meet the Borg Queen, of course, the discussion starts between shoot to kill, like Seven says, and first have a discussion, like in Discovery as well with the DMA, like in all Star Trek probably. Okay, besides all my little criticism points, still an 8 out of 10. I really liked it. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Wise words from our Admiral Fred, as always there, Pete. Uh, and I, I love how Fred appreciated the fact that they wanted the Guinan cameo, but then worked worked it all in in a way that was believable yes the aging stuff but i i think uh, fred was wise to point out that indeed picard would w- would seek out guinan at this time not just hey season two needs a whoopee uh cameo i'm still super hopeful we're gonna at long last get the backstory between guinan's elorians and q's q's uh what the beef is there how they don't get along you know you you go back to q who and uh you know whoopee with the the kung fu hands and you know all of that and um never been explained so i think again fertile ground for this series on the subject of rios being promoted i thought quite a bit about this um he was a captain of la serena he had been, I don't think they said he was first officer of the Ibn Majin, but he was higher up bridge crew on that vessel. Does it help to know Picard? I mean, I think it certainly does. It also suits the story well, of course, but I mean, in the last 18 months in showtime, you know, in, in the world of the show, what Picard has not only helped shepherd uh, Elnor into Starfleet Academy. All right, that's not that um, you know amazing, but he's helped shepherd his placement for you know going to the Excelsior for the training ship, and Rafi's been brought back into the good graces of Starfleet, and she's now placed to watch Elnor. Like again, some of these are definitely story conveniences, but you know it's Jean Luc Picard, you know who. Uh, you, you know, was not treated well by, you know, hashtag broken Starfleet and the uh, the Romulan incursion that had happened there and so forth in the last season. He's got some good grace bucks to cash, and clearly he's done it for the people who have uh, who have helped him out. 
And of course, Pete, the people who help us out are those who go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek and help keep our ship afloat. Our thanks to them for keeping the podcast listener supported. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. Uh, things you can only find there. Takes just a dollar a month to get you through that door. Can't contribute this month. You could be like JTA is me and go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating in seconds to any one of our 25, soon to be 26 with Marvel's Moon Knight uh, feeds coming later this month. And uh, really, really appreciate everybody uh, helping us out there. That helps get the word out about Fantastic Geek. Pete, let's keep the conversation going. How can people reach out to the U of 2022 on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,395 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do me in touch with the podcast comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are FantasticGeek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash FantasticGeek, all one word with the PH, like it today. On the Pop Culture Podcast feed, the adventure continues next Star Trek Saturday when we talk the penultimate episode of Season 4 of Star Trek Discovery. And then Star Trek Sunday is continuing here with Picard for its entire 10-episode run. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Cheers, big ears. Cheers.